Let me pray for these kids. Father in heaven, we thank you for the children that you have given to this congregation. Father, we thank you that you have said in your word that they are like arrows in a quiver, uh, that they are blessings to us. Father, I thank you that you made it very clear in, in the vows of baptism that these children belong to us, not just to one mom and one dad, but to the church. And Father, we praise you for the women and the men who will help teach them more about you as we fulfill our membership vows to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Father, I ask that to a child, to a little girl and to a little boy, you would make yourself known that that would be the ordinary way that you work. Father, I pray that you would be with these parents and that this would be a great time of encouragement to them, that they would see others in the church coming alongside them and encouraging their parenting and encouraging their raising of children. And Father, for those of us uh, who don't have children present in the church, would we see these children as our children? Would we love them as our children? Would we recognize that your strong admonition against any who would cause any of these little ones to stumble, that it would be better if a millstone were tied around our neck and we'd be tossed into the water than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Father, I pray that they would be more and more convinced of your love for them. I pray that you would help them to see Jesus clearly. And I pray that even at a very young age, seeing Jesus clearly, you would change them, that they would become young girls and young boys, young women and young men, uh, who are more and more like Christ. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love the children, that you're the one that said, let the little children come to me. And so now, Lord Jesus, we send them to you. Teach them, make yourself known to them, love them, we pray in your name, amen. All right, kids, you're dismissed. I don't know what age is, but you know. If you old people try to leave, I'm gonna know that, you are, uh, that you're anxious about the guest preacher. So, uh, don't go anywhere. Yeah, you probably noticed my accent. I'm from South Newton, and uh, that's the southern part of Newton. That's where my children all went to high school. Um, I am uh, Bradley. My wife's name is Mita. We moved to New England 23 years ago, and my accent has not found me yet. And so uh, that's why it sounds so strange. Uh, Troy and I have been close friends ever since he and Krista, Krista moved up into New England. Uh, to come and plant this congregation out here on the South Shore. And what a blessing. We've prayed for you all so many times. Uh, we pray for you on a regular basis. We're very thankful for each and every one of you. Um, we have been in Newton, Mass. for about 13 years now. And our closest tie to you guys are Peter and Corey right over here and their son, Owen. Uh, it was our privilege to get to know Peter uh, first, and then as he fell in love and, and was engaged to Corey, to get to know Corey, and then it was my privilege to be able to perform their wedding. Good night, Nyon, six years ago, you just said, which is awesome. And then to see little Owen, it's such a blessing. Uh, if I seem a little bit distracted, you need to know that I am expecting any day now, and I left my phone in my bag so that it wouldn't interrupt me, don't worry. We're expecting any day now our first grandchild. Uh, we have a child that lives in Gainesville, Georgia, and he and his wife are expecting their first child any day now. So if I feel a little bit distracted, you'll, have, you'll understand. You'll be patient with me, right? That would be great. All right, we're going to read a little bit of the Bible, and I'm going to introduce this idea of the recipients of grace and the perniciousness of pride to you. Um, I know it's jarring when you get a guest preacher. 
And I know it's hard sometimes because you're like, that's not the way Troy preaches. Or that's not the text in which we've been studying. But let's trust that God's going to do something. Let's trust that he's going to use his word uh, to bear fruit in our lives. So why don't you stand and listen to the reading of God's word. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 6 through 21. And on those black pew Bibles that are there, it can be found on page 954. Now, there are two ways you can do this. You can look at it now if you want to, or you can close your eyes and listen. And then you can refer back to it during the sermon. Your choice. But let me read to you uh, these verses. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 through 21. The Apostle Paul is speaking, okay? He says this to the Corinthians. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but of their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Brief prayer. Let me pray for us. Father, you know these women and men. You know what they need. Um, Father, you are their heavenly father and you care for them. You say you, you lead them beside quiet waters and that you restore their souls. And so, Father, I pray that in the preaching of your word and the foolishness of preaching, uh, you would restore the souls of the women and the men who are here, that you would turn all of us toward you, Lord Jesus. There is a king in our midst as we have sung. And Lord Jesus, you are he. We praise you and we ask you, help us to see you more clearly. Uh, would you do the heart surgery that we need? Would you work in us what is pleasing in your sight? Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. 
Listen, we're in the middle of 1 Corinthians. I bet you couldn't guess that. And uh, this is the end of Paul's initial argument to the Corinthians. It started in chapter 10 of chapter, or verse 10 of chapter 1. Um, and it ends right here. And you guys get it today because I have to preach it this afternoon. Um, but it is, not, um, uh, it is not without value to you. Um, the title of this sermon for you guys is The Recipients of Grace and Yet the perniciousness of pride, right? What Paul is unmasking for the Corinthians is what is wrong in the church. Now, have you ever been to a church and you don't know quite how to express it, but you sit down and you go, this place just isn't right, right? Churches have ethos to them. Churches have a communal life. Churches have a communal experience to them. And the Corinthian church is not doing well. It needs to do well because it's in a very important city. And I won't go into all the definition of why this, this church is important. But it is very important. And the gospel is, is dying in the, first, in the Corinthians church. The gospel isn't dying. The Corinthians are distancing themselves from the gospel would be a better way of saying it. And the apostle Paul is saying you cannot distance yourself from the gospel. That's why he's coming to them with such harsh language. You may be familiar with the book of Galatians. And where the Apostle Paul doesn't even have an introduction to the book of Galatians. He just looks at him and he goes, I'm astonished that you're already deserting the gospel, right? And you may be used to saying, hey, that's, that's the Apostle Paul and he's on fire. That fire of Galatians is nothing compared to the fire that he has for the Corinthians right now. Because they aren't just distancing themselves from him as their father in the faith, but they're distancing him, themselves from Jesus. And the way that they're doing that is that they're forgetting that they are recipients of God's grace and they have become those who have been overtaken by the perniciousness of pride. And so I want to ask you, would you think about this with me? I'm not going to act like you're the first Corinthian church. And if you were wondering, man, I wonder if he's going to tell the congregation out in Newton that they're the first Corinthian church. No, I'm not. I mean, praise God. That's not the case. Um, you guys need to be encouraged. The gospel in, in, in Newton is going forward. Uh, and, and women and men's lives are being transformed constantly by the gospel. Praise God for that. But, 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 when we read scripture, we ought to consider how much are we like them? What are, how are we tempted in the same ways that they are tempted? There are three things that I want to show you in this, okay? I want to show you how Paul exposes for them the perniciousness of, of pride. I want you to see in the next example the way he uses the tool of irony to go after them because it's so important. And then finally, I want to end in verses 14 through 21 with this idea of invitation, how the Apostle Paul invites the Corinthians back, how he invites them back. All right. So the first thing that I want you to look at is in verses six and seven. So now is a great time for you to turn to the Bible. Page 954. Chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians in verses 6 and 7. And I want you to see that what the Apostle Paul has done is that he's uncovered the root of the problem in Corinth. And that is the human heart that is puffed up and filled with pride. You, later he'll use the word arrogant, but that's the same word as puffed up. So what he has done is he has uncovered it. He's taken two and a half chapters. I'm not going to take you through it, but listen to what he says in verse six. He says, I've applied all these things to myself and to Paulus for your benefit, brothers and sisters. He said, the reason that I talk to you about us being servants, about us being 
um, those are who are builders of God, about you being the seed of God, about you not belonging to us, but belonging to God, and about us not belonging to you as if you could direct what we do as apostles, but that we are servants of God, that we together, the church is God's field, that he's God's building, all of the stuff that he's talked about thus far. He says, I've talked about these things for you, Corinthians, for your benefits, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Kind of hard to understand. But most likely what the Apostle Paul is talking about in that section is that he's been quoting scripture. The most, the most quoted passage that he's had thus far has been from Jeremiah. And you guys know this passage, right? This passage that talks about boasting. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, I delight, declares the Lord. He says not to go beyond what is written there. Don't boast in anything other than that you know and understand the very character of God. If there's one verse that I would encourage you to memorize, and you can write this down. If there's one tattoo that I would encourage you to get, I don't have a problem if you have tattoos, get another tattoo. This would be it. Exodus 34, okay? Six and seven, the very name of God, who he is. That would be a great thing for us to remember because that's what is explained there in Jeremiah 9, 22 and 23. A God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, right? That's part of that verse. You can see the rest of it. But what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's saying, listen, I don't want you to go beyond that. I don't want you to, to, to put your boasting in anything else. Listen to what he says, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. See, the problem with the Corinthians is that they have become puffed up. They have looked at the gifts that the Apostle Paul in chapter one has already said, look, you've been given all the full gifts. And they've said, look, that's our new identity. These who have been given gifts and now we're puffed up. And, and Paul, you don't seem as impressive as we do. And we're going to choose Paul's teaching over your teaching, Paul, or maybe even Peter's or maybe some itinerant preacher who comes in and tries to build the church on wisdom apart from the cross. And the Apostle Paul is saying Listen, I've showed you all this stuff so that you don't go beyond boasting in the Lord, that you don't start boasting in yourself, that you deal with the pride that is in you. This is a tough thing to hear, right? It's tough for the Corinthians and it's tough for us. When we moved into our house in Newton, there was a bush by our front door that my wife didn't like. Have you ever tried to dig up one of these yew plants? Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, have mercy, you guys. I said, oh, sure, that thing's not that big. I can get after that. And about 12 hours later, I was not done, but I was so angry because those roots went deeper and deeper and they spread out and spread out. Paul is doing the digging of the work in the Corinthians lives to expose this issue of pride that they are puffed up in others, not considering that the only thing that they should boast in is knowing and understanding the Lord. They have been pride filled. We're told that they're choosing persons over the gospel and that they're identifying themselves with their gifts and that they're judging the apostle Paul and saying, you know, you lack in your gifts. And we're not so sure that we're interested in what you have to tell us. But the apostle Paul thinks this is a big deal. And he brings out in this big problem, the big guns, because he is going to expose this root of pride. 
you guys, I don't know you. I'm not looking at you and telling you you're filled with pride. I'm telling you that as a minister, one of the things that I'm most sensitive to is prideful people. And you ask yourself, why is that, Bradley? You know why that is, don't you? Because of my own pride. I'm puffed up. I'm the one that needs to hear this passage. So if you don't pray for yourself, pray for me as I'm preaching that this passage of God's pursuit of exposing our pride would be something that he gets after in me. How does he do it? In verse seven, what does he do? He asks them this series of questions. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? You see what he's doing. He says in the first question, who do you guys think you are? That's how bold he is to the Corinthian Christians who are judging him, who are telling him that you aren't gifted, who are telling him that we need wisdom apart from what you have, Paul. He says to them, who do you think you are? And then the second question he asked them, he says this, what do you have that you did not receive? What's the answer to that? Nothing, right? Everything that they have, they have received. And then the third question is this, if then you have received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The Apostle Paul is getting after this reality that Christians can slip into this reality of presumption. God loves me because I am lovable. God loves me because I've sacrificed for him. God loves me because I deserve it. The Apostle Paul is getting after this idea of presumption and saying, who do you think you are? Everything that you have has been given to you. How do you begin to identify where you might be prideful? Let me, ask, let me just give you one question. You can think about it a little bit if you want to. One way of doing that, what are things that other Christians do that drive you nuts and that you actually look down on? Thinking, I've arrived, they haven't arrived. That would be a great place for you to find this idea of presumption in your heart. But the second thing that he's getting after is their ingratitude. And as one commentator wrote this week, this is an invitation for us to experience one of those rare and unguarded moments of total honesty. What do you have that you haven't received as a gift? Mita and I have a Cuban couple who has been living with us this past year. They fled Cuba for persecution. They're two physicians and they're living with us. Mita and I have been undone, undone when we look and see their lives. What do you have that hasn't been given to you? This is one of those rare unguarded moments for total honesty. Instead of ingratitude, what ought to mark our lives? Gratitude. Gratitude instead of pride, right? Ephesians 5 is a really interesting chapter. In Ephesians 5, Paul encourages the Corinthians not to pursue sexual immorality, not to pursue foolish and coarse talking, but instead, guess what he tells them to do? You kind of go turn off your cell phone. Uh, maybe he tells me to, uh, to, to, to get an accountability partner. Maybe he tells me to, uh, to flee. Do you know what he says instead? He says, but instead, be thankful. 
Have you ever stopped to consider what a powerful weapon thanksgiving is to pride? And why? Because you know that that for which you are thankful for, thank you for this, you didn't deserve it. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's gifted to us. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, you guys have stepped away from the gospel. You've presumed that you deserved something. And in so doing, you have stepped away from even the hope and the joy and the thanksgiving of Jesus. It's pretty powerful. The quote that I'm going to use this week on the front of our order of worship is this, that grace leads to gratitude, whereas wisdom and self-sufficiency leads to boasting and judgment. Grace leads to humility, but boasting means that one has arrived. I want you to see the second thing that the Apostle Paul does. That's the first. The second's going to go quicker, and then the third is what we're going to end with, all right? So this is verses 8 through 13. He has exposed the pride of the Corinthians, and now listen to his use of irony, this idea that you express the meaning by using language that is the opposite in meaning, right? And you do it oftentimes with a tone of sarcasm. You know that, right? Irony can, something can be ironic that isn't spoken, but here the Apostle Paul is speaking these words to them, but they're filled with irony. They're filled with irony. Listen to what he says. He says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. And then this next phrase actually says, without us, you have begun to reign. You've already begun to reign. Well, it's not true of the Corinthians. If you know the first chapter of Corinthians, you know that not many of the Corinthians were honorable folks. Not many of the Corinthians were rich. Not many of the Christian the Corinthians were powerful. Not many were from the upper classes of their society. But the Apostle Paul is saying, listen to how you're acting. Already you're filled and you're rich and you're reigning as if Jesus has already returned. As if the already and the not yet have come together. You know this theology, right? This idea that is throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Apostle Paul, that already we have become saints because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus finished the work of redemption. He is seated in heaven and we are seated with him in the heavenly places already. Did you know that? Did you know that your eternity is secure because of Christ? Not because of anything that you have done. But not yet are we experiencing that. Now we are still struggling against sin in this world, against the world and the flesh and the devil. But the Corinthians are acting like they aren't. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, look, you're already filled. You're already rich. You're already reigning. And he says, I wish that you were reigning because then we would reign with you. If they really were reigning, it would mean Jesus has returned and then that the end finally has come. But the Apostle Paul is using this irony. You say, man, that's kind of hard. Well, he's really hard on pride. The scripture is really hard on pride. The second thing that he does in chapter in, in verses nine and 10 is that he creates this picture of a triumphal entry. I'll let you read chapters nine and 10. The NIV does a great job with this, by the way, if you ever if you want to go look at a different standard. But what he pictures is this. He goes, I tell you what I see. If I'm looking at it the way you're looking at it, that God has already triumphed over the enemy and that you, Corinthians, are in the first place. You're, in the, you're in, the, in the honorable place of the parade that God is doing through heaven. And you, Corinthians, are in the first place, and you're the best warriors of God. And he says, we apostles, we're in the last place. 
according to you guys. We're in the place of dishonor. We're at the end of the line. In fact, the, the NIV does a great job of saying we're the ones that are going to get sacrificed in the Colosseum tomorrow because we are the spoils of war. We are those who you have rejected. And if you have rejected us, then God has rejected us. You see the irony of that. The Apostle Paul doesn't believe that that is who he is. The Apostle Paul writes in the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me, right? But the Apostle Paul is using their logic against them and he's saying, we're the ones that are gonna be put to death. You are the one who is strong. We're the ones who are weak. You are the ones who are honored. We're the ones who are dishonored. The Apostle Paul is using irony to shame them. And the last thing that the Apostle Paul does in this use of irony is in verses 11 through 13. He says, this is our condition. This is our response to suffering. This is our condition that is disdained by the Corinthian church. This is where I wonder if we aren't most like the Corinthian church. And, and I say we, I mean Christians in Massachusetts. Let's start there. Um, and, and maybe I would get even sharper. I, again, I don't know you as well, but I know that for those of us in Newton, we hate suffering. And anytime suffering comes into our lives, we automatically think God is against us, right? But the Apostle Paul in verses 11 and 13 talks about it like this. To this present hour, he's saying right now, you guys have already arrived, but right now, He's saying to the Corinthians, we apostles, we hunger and we thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. You know that the apostle Paul made his money by making tents. That's where that, that's where that term comes from, a tent maker for a pastor, right? Troy's almost a tent maker with that key lock business, but he's not quite a tent maker. You guys are very generous with him. But the apostle Paul is saying, look, this is who we are. We're suffering. We are weak. We are the ones who labor. And this is exactly what the Corinthians disdain. Listen to how it ends right there. He says, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. Who does that sound like? Who has become a spectacle for us? Who, when he was reviled, turned around and blessed? You're right. I heard you say it. Jesus Christ. Do you see in the pride of the Corinthians, they didn't even see that the Apostle Paul looks a lot like Jesus. And in fact, the Apostle Paul is saying, I have become like the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. Now what that means is that means that part that is left in the bucket when you wash yourself off, when you wash all the dirt and all the impurities off of you, if you want to go really gross, it's that part that clogs up your drain in your shower, right? That's what the apostle Paul is saying. That's really gross, right? But what the apostle Paul is also saying is he's saying, I'm the one that's been washed away, but you Corinthians, you're pure. Now, do you see the irony of that? Do you see what he's going after? He's saying, you are treating me because of your pride as if I'm the one that has been removed so that you, Corinthians, could be pure. The Apostle Paul 
throws down the gauntlet. And he does it because they are missing Jesus. Listen, you guys just read in the profession, in the confession of faith and the absolution of sins out of Ephesians 50, uh, 53. I, I mean, Isaiah 53 about Jesus. Listen to what it says. He, Jesus, had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Sounds like the Corinthians, doesn't it? But Paul sounds like Jesus, doesn't he? You see, the apostle Paul is going after the Corinthians because he is determined to unmask their pride. I want to ask you one more question. Where does our disdain for suffering unmask our pride? Where do you say in your life, I'm not going to suffer here? Let me give you an example. Children, don't think I'm picking on you. I'm picking on some of my own children in this, in this situation. But your children go and they do the things that you never thought that they would do. And it happens to you. And you have complete disdain over that suffering. And what do you say? I don't deserve this. Well, what does that point to? My pride in parenting, right? I think I have parented right, and so bad things aren't going to happen. Broken things aren't going to happen. And all that does is point to my pride. All that does is reveal my pride. So my question for you is this. Where does our disdain for suffering unmask? our own pride. Listen, the last thing the Apostle Paul does is 14 through 21. He gives this invitation. He gives an invitation to them. Listen to how he starts. You're like, Bradley, he's come really hard at us. He's come really hard at the Corinthians. You guys, maybe you feel like God is coming really hard at your heart. I want you to know it's not me. I don't know you. But if this conversation about pride is going, oh my goodness, I see the pride in my heart. Don't resist Leaning into that. Don't resist it because of this invitation that follows. This is the heart of God for you. Even as he exposes your pride and my pride. This is God's heart for us, sisters and brothers, church, family. Listen to what he says. Apostle Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't expect them to be shamed. He totally believes that he has shamed them. He has just said to them, you, Corinthians, believe that I am the refuse that makes you clean. <laughs> That's what he said to them. That should shame you. You shouldn't look at any other human being and go, hey, man, you're the refuse that makes me clean. I mean, that, you're like, how could you say that? But that's what the Corinthians have said. The Apostle Paul says, I didn't say this just to shame you, but to admonish you. You know what admonishment means? It means to correct, to help them see uh, 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 the, the truth, Right? He says, I've done this to admonish you. Listen, children, these are the vows that we take when you are baptized. We vow to raise you in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Those of you children, those of you parents who are here who have had kids baptized, you remember that vow. You took it. That's this idea of admonishment. But then the Apostle Paul goes on to tell these Corinthians who have treated them this way, you are my beloved children. I'm not going to disdain you the way you have disdained me. You are my beloved children. And I am your father. Now, it's not like Darth Vader. Luke, I am your father. Come with me to the dark side. That is not exactly what he's doing. But he is saying, listen, 
I shared the gospel with you. You were converted. The power of God worked in your life. I'm like a father to you. I love you like a father loves you. And then he gives them this this invitation in verse 16. Imitate me, he says. Come and be like me. Instead of seeing yourself as wise and as strong and as fulfilled and as having arrived and puffed up and arrogant and filled with pride, he says, come and be like me. Be weak and broken. Be needy. Be dependent. Come and be like me. And he doesn't say just come and be like me, the Apostle Paul, but he says, come and be like me and see my ways in Christ. What he says in verse 17, he's saying the way that I understand myself in Christ. And in chapter 11 of first Corinthians, he's actually going to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Chapter 11, verse one. You see, Jesus is the one who said a servant is never greater than his master. And Jesus said, look, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. Church, where do we need to hear this message that we are resisting suffering and we're resisting being hated by the world because we are filled with pride? Again, I don't know for you, but I know for me how sensitive I am to other people's pride means that I am filled with pride myself. Jesus is the one who became a spectacle. He is the one who became weak and homeless, persecuted, reviled, and yet blessed others. Jesus is the one who loved his enemies. Church, have you chosen your political stripe so that you could put somebody else down? Do you make fun of people who disagree with you when no one else is listening? Maybe that's a sign of pride. What would it look like for you to love your enemies and as Jesus did for us to move toward those who hate him? Because that's Jesus' heart for us. My ending question is this. Where does your life imitate the life of Christ? Where would somebody see your life and go, you look like Jesus? Students, when my kids were in high school, I encouraged our children. I said, look, I want you to love your friends so that if they ever discover who Jesus is, they look and you go, you know something? That's the way that Ben loved me. That's the way that Mac loved me. That's the way that Louisa loved me. That I recognize. Who are you loving that way? That Christ is being imitated. The only way that's possible is if you all believe that Jesus has loved you that way. The Apostle Paul says, come back to Christ who has loved you so much that he gave himself for you. Don't presume upon him. Of course God loves me. Look at me. (laughs) Paul says, who do you think you are? And he says, Bradley, who do you think you are? Or that we're filled with ingratitude, that we never say thank you. Those who were recipients of grace say thank you all the time. This ends with a warning. Because pride affects the church. It affects the ethos of the church. 
You see, this isn't just about us individually. This is about us corporately. Or you want to be serious about ridding ourselves of pride? The Apostle Paul thinks it's a really big deal. Here's an idea. Why don't you go to Troy and ask Troy, say, Troy, um, where do you see pride in my life? Go to Peter and Corey as your youth leaders and go, hey, you guys, where, where do you see pride in me? Here's an amazing one. What if you were to go to Troy and say, Troy, could we talk sometime? I want to ask you a question just to clarify something. I, I don't know that this is the case, but maybe pride's involved. And then ask a question with generosity. Care enough about each other that we would guard one another's hearts. Because those who have been the recipients of grace are filled with gratitude and thanksgiving and don't want to see pride. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch. Like you? No. Like me. A wretch like me, right? That saved a wretch like me. Is there hope for change for you and me? You know where the hope goes. We pray for it for the children. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, the one who became a spectacle for us. The one who really did purify us whose blood washed our sins away and in whom we are healed as Jack read, right? Let me pray for us. We're done. Father in heaven, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We ask that it would bear fruit in our lives. We need you to come. We need you to enliven it. Father, we, um, we will resist you um, if you don't send your spirit to bring down our walls and to allow you to do your work in our own hearts. So we pray that even as you expose us, as you use the irony of our own logic against us, and then as you um, invite us to return to you yet again, um, Heavenly Father, we're, we're completely dependent on you. Lord Jesus, I, I am overwhelmed at how much I need to hear this this week. And so I pray that you would bear fruit of repentance in my own life. And I pray for these women and men that you would bear the fruit of repentance in their lives because you love them. Lord Jesus, we draw near to you with one voice. Um, we thank you so much for the gift of prayer. We thank you that you, Jesus, taught us to pray. And so as a congregation, as those who know ourselves to be bent toward pride, as those who know ourselves to be dependent on you such that we would need to pray and that we want to pray, we join our voices together and we pray together saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 